come worship. The privilege we have, to even, even just as believers, as people, to come to know you personally. God, how beautiful it was, these testimonies of faith pointing to the work that your spirit is doing and redeeming these lives and God calling them to faith. And we know, God, that it's not just them who call you by faith. It's all of us in this room. We call you our Lord and Savior. And we're so thankful for that privilege, God, that we are redeemed sons and daughters, that we are bought at a price, that, God, our sin is as far as is, is the east is from the west because of the work that you've accomplished on the cross. And God, we claim your victory as our own because of your work. And God, even in this moment as we turn to your word, I pray that you would give us uh, attentiveness and ear for what your spirit is wanting to work in us. God, your spirit is the one who transforms us. Your spirit is the one who, tra- who changes us from one degree of glory to another. And God, I pray this, this morning through this message that it wouldn't just be me speaking words, but God, it would be your spirit transforming lives. And God, maybe even in this room this morning, there's people who haven't made that, that confirmation of faith, who haven't believed in you. God, would you give them that space this morning? God, we thank you for your word. And we need to pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, my name is Colin Vanavash. I have the opportunity here at Christ Church to lead the student ministry. I'm just pumped. Can you tell? I'm just pumped. That's so awesome. I'm brought to tears earlier this morning. Can we just praise God for what he's been doing? Yeah. I love it. I love it. I am... Um, I'm going to tell you guys a couple things before we get into the message. I was encouraged to share a little bit about my uh, my life, my family, this transition. Uh, I've been here for just about seven months, and it's been um, such a blessing to my family. Um, not just not just me, but my wife and my kids. But yeah, my name's Colin. I've been here uh, serving the student ministry for about seven months now, and uh, I'm married to Allison or Allie, and uh, we've been married for going on seven years now, and we've got three kids. Uh, Gabriel's the oldest. He's five. Uh, Cam or Cameron or Cam. Tammy, you can call him whatever you want. Uh, he's three, and then Zoe, uh, who's just uh, about seven months. And um, I came from a church in in Byron Center uh, called Corinth Reformed Church, and I was there for just over ten years. And uh, my family is is praising that I've I've finished my time in seminary uh, just this last season. Uh, and uh, I just want to say, overall, I am so excited to be able to work here. Uh, it has just been a blessing to my soul. Even looking back uh, nine, ten months ago, the process of, of interviewing and coming alongside God has just been blessing, um, not just me, um, but my, my family as well. And uh, not only that, but not just the elders and the staff, but really all of you uh, people who call Christ Church your home and, and all the other uh, students uh, from different places. I've just been so um, appreciative. Uh, I've been so loved, and um, it's just been amazing to see already even what God has been doing in student ministry, but then I don't claim that as my own, but but just seeing and being able to witness God's work has just been beautiful. Um, and again, I'm sorry, we're just going to do one more time. Can we just praise God for what he's been doing? Yeah. Um, but just just a, a couple other things, uh, whether you uh, have kids or not, I want to give you a couple updates just generally on student ministry so that you can actually uh, know kind of what's been going on. We ha- have been getting together pretty much every Tuesday this summer in student ministry, and 
Uh, on Tuesday nights from 5 to 6, we have a Bible study. We've been studying 1 John, and then from 6 to 8, uh, we've been just hanging out. And, and during that Bible study, I didn't, I didn't realize this would happen. I didn't anticipate, I didn't plan for this. Um, but even like the first couple weeks of us getting together, uh, the students were just like, hey, should we like break off and just have a time of confession? And it was like, what? Like, uh, sh- sure. You know, and just like facilitating that space and that ministry. It was so beautiful um, because the soil that the Lord has been blessing us with as a church is so good. It is so ripe for good, healthy discipleship and growth. And, and maybe if you're a student in this room that hasn't been part of student ministry, I just want to invite you, uh, come be a part of our family more ingrained, more closely, uh, because we want to love you and we want to help, uh, help really help you discern uh, what God has for your life. But uh, not only just Tuesday nights, we've had other various events, specifically one recently, we just came off of camp and, and Sophia just shared a little bit about, oh, she's up here now, but uh, she just shared a little bit about her story of camp. We have three students at camp give their life to Christ, including her. Can we just, again, I mean, we're we're just doing it. Praise God for that. Yeah, and um, we had a couple different churches with us. We were at Camp Harvest, and it was beautiful. Um, I didn't, I could not fathom. Um, I could not, you know, God always does more than we could ever ask or imagine, and he did. He showed up, and it was amazing. It was powerful. Um, but I want to tell you maybe a little bit of update just from, a, from the leadership perspective of student ministry. Um, just overall, as I look at planning, as I look at leading this ministry, I want you to know as families and as parents, whether you have kids or not, maybe you're a grandparent, um, my hope is that we would work to create well-rounded disciples of Jesus young men and women who are faithful, who are loving, who are uh, discerning even the call that God is putting on their lives. And I hope to create a a space and facilitate uh, a space where they continually can actually learn uh, where God might be leading them uh, to lay down their life uh, for the sake of the gospel. And that's a hope not just for people who go into ministry at a church, but really all of us, we are all ministers of the gospel. And and I'm really excited for that work uh, to do it in student ministry. Uh, But there's one really one last thing um, beyond that. Uh, if you're a parent in this room, or or maybe you um, have had, a, had an irk in your heart to serve to some capacity within student ministry, I would love for you to be a part of that mission. If you uh, want to sacrifice and you want to have, frankly, I'll just be honest. These students teach me so much. Um, I have learned to be a better better disciple of Jesus because of what. Uh, these students have brought to the table. And if you are someone who, who wants to walk alongside, walk alongside students, disciple them, and actually be blessed by the whole process, I would love to have a co- conversation with you or coffee with you uh, to figure out what it, what, it might glo- what it might look like for you to serve within our ministry. Um, but if you would consider joining our team, just send me an email. Let's get a coffee. Let's hang out. Uh, but that being said, let's open up our Bibles to Exodus 16. We're going to spend uh, the majority of our time uh, in that passage along with uh, two others this morning. And really my hope through this message is that you would walk away um, knowing God as your provider. Uh, that you wouldn't just um, come to church and then hear other people's faith declared, but that you you're, you yourself would actually have an emboldened faith uh, to, to live in a response to what God has done. Uh, and so again, we'll be in Exodus 12. Um, but the title for our message this morning is this, Bread from Heaven, What Is It? 
So Exodus 16, we've been, the, we've been in this series called uh, Stories You Thought You Knew. It's the last one of the series, and um, we've just been looking at some Old Testament texts that have some, maybe some New Testament realities or some, or some ways that we haven't really interpreted them right historically, and, and we're just trying to bring some clarity to some of these things. So I'm going to hope to do that uh, about what the bread from heaven is. What is it? Um, but I've got a confession. Um, months ago, I sat in this series planning meeting where I was uh, given this opportunity to potentially preach, uh, kind of scary, uh, going to a new church, having to preach. Um, but um, the confession wasn't that I was necessarily nervous about preaching. It was that maybe I was ignorant in the choosing the passes that I chose. Um, Exodus 16 is a massive text of scripture. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't know if anybody could ever preach one message that encapsulates all the beauty that is in this text of scripture. And so just as a maybe a preamble or uh, just to give you a little heads up before we read this text, uh, and there'll be some passages on the screen in a second, but I'm going to tell you like 10 different things that you'll find in Exodus 16. Um, but then further, if you want to, on your sermon guide, you can actually write down some of these passage passages so that you can actually further study uh, maybe some of the truths in this passage passage that might bring clarity uh, to what God's really getting at in Exodus 16. But we're just going to focus on one idea. But I'm going to tell you, just for clarity, 10 things that you'll find in this passage. You'll find a grumbling people, a desire to return to slavery of Egypt, multiple layers of testing, God testing the Israelites, the Israelites testing God, Israel's unbelief, God's providence, uh, Israel's insubordination of leadership of Moses, but really of God, God's provision, the first occurrence of the idea of Sabbath as a way of life, the visible glory of God, which is really cool, and even the first reference to what we know as the Ark of the Covenant. So if you're the sort of person that loves digging deeper into passages, and I'll be honest, I was blown away uh, by what this text offered, and I have really tried to distill uh, what God would have for us this morning. Um, but at the same time, I had some older saints after the first service come to me and say, I never saw that. And I was just thrilled in my heart to know that even that God is still working, that God is still teaching even through uh, some of these older passages. Though, um, there's the one topic that I, want God, I, th- I thought God wanted me to focus on is actually the same topic that I think God's been trying to teach me. And I actually shared this a couple weeks ago when I was at camp with the students that the thing that I, I, I really think God has wanted to teach me is that I will never outgrow my dependence on him. And that's really where our, our big idea comes from. It's really from the text of scripture, but it's wor- God's working it in me as well. It says, so the big idea for today is disciples will never outgrow their dependence on God's provision. You can write that down and then turn with me to Exodus 16. Let's read this together uh, and let's see what the Lord has for us. Verse 1, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would, it, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they, when they, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron and all the people of Israel, 
And Moses and, Aaron said to, Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, at evening you shall know, such a big idea, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see, another big idea, the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord. He has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew laid around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was, a fa- there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. Jumping to verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And so the first point that we're going to see from our text of Scripture this morning as we unpack it is this, is that God provides bread from heaven for the spiritually forgetful. God provides heaven, or God provides bread from heaven for the spiritually forgetful. And maybe a question that will help frame really uh, what we're going to be diving into in this passage is this. And maybe this is what you were uh, beginning to even think of if you know a little bit about the story of Exodus. It's this question. Could the people of Israel trust that God would not let them starve in the wilderness? Could the people of Israel trust that God would not let them starve in the wilderness? I'm sure there's a couple short answers to that question, but, you know, we're not going there this morning. Uh, We're going to look at Exodus 14, and in Exodus 14, we're actually seeing that that God brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. He redeemed them. He bought them back. He he restored them. And in Exodus 14, this is what it says, interesting, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and saw the Egyptians on the, he saw the, the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so that people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. That was chapter 14. Chapter 15, so the other passage right before ours, we see the song of Moses. It's it's like 30 or 40 verses, or maybe a little bit less than that, but but there's a lot of verses of just praise and and honor to God, and shortly after they start to grumble about what they're going to drink, and actually their praise and worship turns to panic and worry. And then at the end of Exodus, tw- or Exodus 15, those like verse 25 and beyond, we actually see a, a miracle happen where the Israelites have been maybe a day or two or three days without water. And so Moses, you know, God provides this. God takes uh, a tree and, and a plant, whatever, and throws it into some water and it actually makes bitter water sweet. And he actually gives the Israelites the opportunity to enjoy the water. Uh, and the reality is, is that I think they're just a spiritually forgetful people. 
The Israelites are just a spiritually forgetful people. I mean, you look through the beginning, the first 16 chapters of Exodus, God has provided for them at every single turn. Yet, somehow, in some way, this forgetfulness turns into grumbling. It's almost like they lose that fear of the Lord. They, they lose vision of the power that God had in redeeming them. It even said in chapter 14 that they believed. Why are they spiritually forgetful? That's a big question. But Israel's spiritual forget, forgetfulness turns into grumbling. From the end of chapter 15 to the beginning of chapter 17, we actually read this word grumbling eight times. It becomes a mark of how we are to know or how we really to remember the people in the book of Exodus in chapter 16. We see in our text that the Israelites are actually wanting to turn back to the meat pots and full stomachs of bread in slavery rather than to go forward in faith, trusting God in whatever provision he might bring. That's crazy to me. If you were to go through a whole season of slavery and you're three days or, or maybe at this point in chapter 16, you're, you're six to eight weeks out from being in, in, in years, in decades of slavery, you're wanting to already turn back to the meat pots of, of slavery because you're not willing to, be, to trust God with faithfulness or his God's faithfulness? The Israelites were ultimately complaining to God for what he hasn't given them in the moment. You know, my three-year-old Cameron comes to me every morning. He actually did this this morning, ironically. Uh, and he says something to me. He goes, Daddy, can I have something from the pantry? Um, and so if you're a young parent and you're laughing, I get, okay, we'll just say it again. Daddy, can I have something from the pantry? He's three. Um, and of course, being the good dad I am, I want to give him good gifts, and I want to give him a Nutrigrain bar or Gushers. No, I want to actually let him wait until lunch so that he can have a good a meal that's sustaining to his body that's actually healthy, Right? And, and so, like, in some parts, I actually understand what God's going through here. He's like, okay, I've got these grumbling people, and they want food. And, like, it makes sense. Like, it's a natural need. Like, we're humans. We need food. In fact, I'm kind of hungry right now. I'm excited for lunch. But, like, hey, here's the thing. Like, we need food, and we need water. And so, like, for them to grumble, like, I can kind of, I can kind of understand that, can't you? But at the same time, God just met, in chapter 15, their need with sweet water, Right? He just met that need. Why are they unfaithful? Why are they not believing in God? You know, I've fed Cameron his whole life, pretty much every meal, and yet there's always this, this humanness that, that arises out of us where we're fearful of our next meal. We're fearful about what we're going to wear. We're fearful about what we're going to drink. There's, it's just part of being human. But So what does God do? Does he turn to judgment and fire and brimstone and just annihilate them? No. God actually gives grace to his, a spiritually forgetful people. That's assurance. That's good for me. But God provides bread from heaven for the people of Israel who are spiritually forgetful. And actually in Exodus 16, 7, 9, and 12, there's this, um, there's this really interesting phrase. You can look at it yourself in here. It says that God heard the grumblings of the Israelites. God wasn't up there just ready to throw lightning bolts. I don't think God does that. But, uh, but the Lord is hearing his people. He's close. He's about to provide once again. And so what does God do? He does just that. In the midst of their forgetfulness, he provides. 
And so in Exodus 16, 13 to 16, we actually read this together. It says, In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, uh, dew laid on the, uh, the, around the camp, and, and there the dew had gone up, and there was on the face of wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Right? And it ends up being the bread. Um, let's talk about that bread a little bit, though. But when we think of God's provision in this text, um, you might be like me, and you might think of, like, hand-tied, like, plastic bags of of fresh-baked sourdough descending from the heavens. And when you think of quail, you might actually think of, like, Costco rotisserie chickens just, like, descending, right? That's what, like, when I, to be honest, when I, I mean, obviously that wasn't the case. But, like, to be honest, when I was looking at this text for the first time, I, like, I didn't realize maybe the nuance of what this actually was. Um, and there actually is some 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 word here on, on what these w- might be. So, actually, um, when we think of, like, quail, uh, and we actually think about a specific, you know, we think of birds, birds migrate. And when birds migrate, they actually get tired. And so it's actually very plausible that the, the provision that God uh, provided for the Israelites with quail was actually originally just tired birds laying on the ground that the Israelites went out and caught. Okay. But then let's look at this. This is really interesting. I'm going to read this closely. And potentially the manna was composed of, catch this, uh, sugary secretions of small insects through the sap of a tamarisk tree. Does anybody want any bread from heaven? Um, okay, yeah, anybody, yeah. I guess God's provision isn't always uh, what we want it to be, right? But let's talk about this. Regardless of, regardless if this was sugary secretions or if this was rotisserie, Costco, chickens, quails, whatever. You know, it's not chickens, it's quails. Uh, regardless, it, it doesn't change the fact that God was the provider. It, regardless of what the provision was, God provided it. And actually, there could have been some natural explanations of how God provided for them in the short term. But actually, the beauty of this text, and we didn't necessarily read this, but in verse 35, it says this. In chapter 16, verse 35, you can look at it with yourself in the Bible. The people of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came to an inhabitable place. You know, birds only migrate a couple months out of the year. God actually, the, the miracle of, of the manna from heaven and the quails from heaven is not so much in like the, the, the one-time fix. Now, Jesus, you know, fed 5,000. He fed 4,000. There's two stories in the book of Matthew. You can go read it. Um, other places, too, in scripture. But like the reality is, is those are one-time occurrences. The beauty of this provision isn't just that God provided once. He provided 365 times 40. I'm 30 years old, and I couldn't imagine. Like, I'm 30. That's, that's, ins- that's an insane amount of time still for me, and, and I've still got 10 more years till I hit that, that mark. 40 years. So in quantity and duration, God met the needs of the Israelite people. And maybe you forgot this, but the Israelites at this point were a group of probably a million to two million people. Now, we like to cater in Subway or get pizza or, or do things, and that's expensive, right? Like, that's a lot of work. God's just like, yeah, I'll provide, for, I'll provide for you for 40 years, every single day, manna and quail. Like, not only that, but if you remember, a spiritually forgetful people. Like, this is God's grace just lavished on his people. Do you see the beauty in that? Do you see how amazing that is? Morning by morning, they gathered their manna. Evening by evening, they gathered their quail, each as much as they needed. They had no lack. God provided for them. That's the God of the Bible. 
But in the pilgrimage in the wilderness of this life, disciples, and here's our second point, disciples need to learn to entrust our needs to God and pursue his kingdom. You know, the Israelites were grumbling and complaining and they kind of forgot about God's power. They forgot about the fear and they forgot the belief that they had in him. Um, but there's a faith move that we need to make as disciples of Jesus. Um, and it's a move really to entrust our souls and our life and our provision to God. Um, entrusting in God is a move away from self-reliance. I'll talk about this in a little bit uh, here in a moment, but self-reliance is, an, is really an idol of our culture and our, in our day and age. We rely so heavily on our own strength, our own works, our own abilities, and we never turn an eye to God or, or even try to allow God to work through us. That is an issue, and we can't have that in the church. But God provides bread for the spiritually forgetful people, but then God tells them in Exodus 16, 12, maybe you're still there, look at this passage, Exodus 16, 12, that they will know God in his provision. What does it say? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel. Remember, God's close. He heard the grumblings. And he says to them, at twilight you shall eat the meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. If you as a disciple of Jesus or you as a person want to know God, you need to know God in his provision. You need to know God in his provision. So if you want to taste and see that the Lord is good, then you need to taste and see that the Lord is good in his provision. And so I want to turn, uh, if you guys would, to Matthew 6. And we're going we're gonna to be there in a second, but I'm actually um, going to tell you guys about something you probably know. Um, it's one of the most w- well-known passages in all of Scripture. Have you guys heard of the Lord's Prayer before? It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. They're actually the very middle. There's a lot of weight to that. There's a lot of significance to that. But um, Jesus actually prays this, this line, or tells us, teaches us how to pray. In this line, he says, Give us this day our daily, bread. Yeah, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says that. In the, like at, the, at the very basis of prayer, prayer is saying, I'm trusting in God over trusting in me. It's a move and a faith move from self-reliance to trust in God. And, and actually, just being honest, sorry guys, this is true. Uh, I think a lot of us pray because we're too self-reliant. Or a lot of us fail to pray because we're, we're too self-reliant. We're, we're scared of praying because we're scared of giving trust to God. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, what are you praying? You're asking God, give, God, give me what I need for today, physically, emotionally, spiritually. God, provide for me. When's the last time you prayed, God, give me this day my daily bread, and actually uh, believed that God would provide something for you? I, I think that's one of the prayers we often know and, and, and say. I, I say it all the time. But I think I've caught myself this week saying maybe I was failing to actually have the faith in God in the, in the midst of that and to actually trust that he would want to provide for me. Do you see that correlation there? But don't miss this second point. The disciples of Jesus have to entrust our needs to God. It's a way of life that leads to faithful, abiding relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God without faith. It can never just be in your head an, an intellect thing, a cognitive thing. Disciples can never and will never outgrow their dependence on God's provision. And so maybe just a question as we continue through this text. We're going to go to verse 25 in a second. Have you been struggling maybe with fears or anxieties? Have your fears and anxieties in this world actually maybe hindered you from living faithfully to God's call on your life in different ways? 
I want to read this text in Matthew 25, and I want to actually, in some senses, see God's provision for us, even just with, with the idols of, of fear and idolatry in this life. So let's read this together in verse 25. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount still. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, that sounds familiar. What you will drink, that sounds familiar. Nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing, considering the lilies of the field, how they grow? They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Will he not much more provide manna for you? Will he not much more provide quail for you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But what? But seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. God is going to provide those things for you. As you're being faithful to him, God is faithful to you. That's a promise. But then it goes on in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, interestingly, uh, Jesus in here just tells us to seek first the kingdom. And, and, I, and I encourage you as a disciple of Jesus, would you believe that God wants to supply those needs for you and that God would want to provide those for you? But going on, there's actually um, a really big issue of self-reliance in our culture that we already talked about. But we're going to put a picture up here. Um, and it's a, a picture that I found online from a coffee shop. You guys could probably tell what coffee shop is by uh, the stuff on the, the board. But this is what it says. It actually quotes anonymous it's funny because Jesus said this. Um, uh, yeah. And so the passage, the passage says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see it, don't you? If, if it's an anonymous source, is there any weight to the promise? If we're going to walk through our lives with God as a distant deity and not a personal provider, are we actually going to have the faith and the boldness to live faithfully in the moment? Do you see that? You know, this coffee shop is anonymously, you know, saying that a deity will cover you, essentially. That you got it. Do you got it? <laughs> Do you trust yourself? Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because he has it. That's a good promise, isn't it? Our culture is so self-reliant and prideful. As a believer, the moment you outgrow your dependence on God is the moment you become your own God. The only reason verse 34 is possible is because the good Father who gives good, good, good gifts is guiding and stewarding all of creation in love. Amen? 
In a similar way, we live in a culture that doesn't enjoy receiving gifts from others. Have you ever done that dance where like you give a gift for someone, even if it's like on their birthday, then they kind of expect to like give you back a gift? Like, oh, hey, like I got you, I got you this gift card. And I know it's your birthday, but like, oh, you shouldn't have. Uh, here's a gift card back. You know, like we do this weird thing because we're kind of a self-reliant people. And we think it's good for us to just like not take from other people. And, and it's kind of an issue. Um, but this deeply seated cultural belief can actually inhibit us catch this, can actually inhibit us from seeing the blessing it is to receive good gifts from our Father in heaven. There's a cultural temperament that our world sows into us that says, no, I want to be a self-reliant person. God says, no, rely on me. God says, no, rely on me in the day-to-day. So maybe this question again is, is, do you think God is a personal provider or do you think God is a distant deity? Because if he's a distant deity, he might just be anonymous to you. There might not actually be any weight to the promises you see in Scripture. But if he is a personal provider, you know you can take those to bat. You know those promises in Scripture are going to be true. So I actually want to, I'm going to jump down a little bit here, but I want to go on a tangent a little bit. To go off, uh, really, it, God invites us to imitate him as disciples of Jesus. And God, God's care and provision, he actually shows it to us through a variety uh, of different means. But, but when he does that, he actually allows us to be provision for other people. We are, as disciples, agents of God's provision for other people in the world. Can't talk about that too much, but, but we, gotta, we gotta put that there. But when you reflect deeper, who gave you your job? When you reflect deeper, who, who allowed you to come to church safe this morning? Who gave you that lunch that you ate? Who allowed you to have the family that you have? Or, or who allowed you to love the people around you? Who, who ga- who's given you all of this? In so many different ways. It's been God. God's been there from the beginning, loving, guiding, protecting you in so many different ways. Being a self-reliant people is culturally and socially acceptable. But self-reliance is a fancy way of saying trusting in yourself. Self-reliance might not be inherently bad, though self-reliance can, as I said a little bit ago, inhibit you from recognizing God's beautiful blessing and provision for your life in the day-to-day. I'm not saying you should sit around and twiddle your thumbs, but there is a need for us to actually use wisdom and action and faithful obedience uh, to God to actually have discerning eyes where we can see where God is provident and where, where God's providence is at work in our world. It's countercultural for us to be openly and honestly declare that nothing I have is my own. I love it in the Heidelberg Catechism. It says, what is your only comfort in life? It's that I'm not my own that I belong in body and soul and life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it goes on about th- 10 more things, but it's there. There's a great comfort in the Father's provision that self-reliance would never be able to speak over you. I don't know about you, I never want to have to be self-reliant because I'm fallible. I'm going to fall. I'm going to fail. I want to be, I want to be, I want to have faith in someone who is faithful, who's steadfast, who loves me, who cares for me, and that's God. And so maybe even just to to work out and to bring a test drive to this provision, God declares his provision over you, and God said in Matthew 6 that you, as a believer, should not worry about the clothes that you wear, the food that you will eat, or what you will drink, because you, God, clothe the lilies and provide food for the birds. God, how much more will you care and provide for those that are your children, your beloved children? God, help me, help us to entrust our lives to you. 
God, you still care. Just like you heard the Israelites and provided for them, God, you still care and you still are, are, are providing for us. Lord, take our self-reliance away from us. Allow us to take hold of your truths, God, and walk by faith and let us seek first your kingdom. But maybe catch this. And this is what God, I think, has been really working in, in, in me is that I want to see God's promises made true in his provision for my life. I want to see the blessing and the, the beauty of what God's provision means for my life. I want to have the eyes of faith to see that in my everyday life. God, give us eyes to see your gracious promises made true in your provision. But this leads us to our last point. Point three is this. Believe and find nourishment through the true bread from heaven. You know, I, I, I put those passages up at the beginning of this message. I really encourage you to go dig into to these different texts. And, and I'm going to have to skim over this a little bit to tie it in. But, but John 6 is so closely related uh, to Exodus 16. Go study it, the whole thing of it. Even the beginning where where Jesus walks on water and feeds feeds the 4,000 in John 6, and it goes up to this point of the bread of life, and we're going to start in verse 29. It says this, This is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. Believe in whom he provides. Believe in the provision that he's given you. God calls us to trust and to believe in the truest and greatest provision. Verses 31 says, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread, good gifts from, the he- from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus says this in verse 34. It's so amazing. I hope that you would grow in your disposition of this. It says this. It says, Sir, give us this bread always. I want to be like that. I want to have a tender heart that genuinely yearns and genuinely desires this bread always. But verse 35, it'll be, be up on the screen here. It says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the true manna from heaven. The manna, here's a quote on the screen here, the manna as a type of Christ shows us that through Jesus Christ, God provides for our deepest needs daily. This provision of God in Jesus Christ is a satisfying provision. It is the only thing that will satisfy our eternal need. Jesus is our right and true provision. God has given himself to us. You know, I I talk a little bit about uh, distant deity or or personal provider. God didn't just say, you know what? Here's a couple more sheep. Just every week, just just sacrifice them. He said, no, I'm going to give you the perfect sacrifice. I'm going to give you me. I'm the true bread from heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I have come down. The Father has sent me down so that I could be your provision, disciple of Jesus, so that I could be your provision, lost in wayward world. And so what are we to do? Well, as humans... It's, it's good to recognize that we were never created to be satisfied with things in creation. Only will we ever be satisfied in the creator Jesus. We will only ever find our restless souls, find, our restless souls will only ever find rest in Jesus himself. People are scouring the world's pleasures looking for a lasting peace, but they will never find it outside the true bread from heaven. And unfortunately, I, I know some of you in this room have restless and wayward hearts. 
May you find rest in Jesus even this morning. May you find rest for that ache and that pain that you feel that this world constantly is berating you with. Verse 47 continues, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died and this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one might eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I will give for him is my flesh. Believer, Christ Church, if you believe Jesus is your best, truest portion, would you say amen? If Jesus is your greatest portion, would you say amen? So what are we supposed to do with this truth? What are we supposed to do with the fact that Jesus is our greatest portion? We're supposed to believe. We're supposed to believe and be nourished. And so what are our practical steps to this? Here's maybe a couple moves for us. Eat the daily bread. The true bread. Know and see, know and see, as our passage in Exodus says, the true provision. Receive nourishment through Jesus. You know, there's a lot of weak Christians because we haven't disciplined ourselves well to receive this nourishment. There's a lot of weak Christians because we haven't disciplined ourselves or learned how personally, as a, as a disciple, to receive this nourishment well. I'm not calling you to works. I'm calling you to effort in your personal relationship and discipleship as a follower of Christ. I'm not calling you to works. I'm calling you to effort. There's a real need that we have to do to pursue. I mean, if, if, if the Israelites were out and they had to go catch the, the quail descending from heaven, which likely they had to exert effort. If you want to know and see and experience God's provision, you need to go to Jesus. He's done everything to make it possible for you to go to him. You just need to go to him continually and be transformed in that. When you come to church, you can expect to be stirred up in faith and bolstered in truth from from God's word, but that cannot be your only source of spiritual nutrition. That is spiritual malnutrition. That is spiritual malnourishment. But do you want to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? Do you want to be a faithful servant? Do you want to live a life that's embodied by seeking first the kingdom of God? Do you want to be a good husband? Do you want to be a good wife? Do you want to be a good son? Do you want to be a good daughter, a good grandparent? Where, do you, where does your consistent spiritual nutrition come from? Do you have brothers and sisters in Christ who are pointing you back to Christ? Not just to church, but to Jesus. You know, there's a great quote, your truest friend is the one who leads you closest to Christ. Your truest friend is the one who leads you closest to Christ. Are you, as a disciple of Jesus, getting enough nourishment? God has given you an eternal nourishment. You have the opportunity to respond, to accept it, to receive it, to go to God's word and actually to, to, be, to be nourished by it. Too many people resort to nourishment just once a week at church. We cannot be a church that does that. We have to be a people who are nourishing on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. God's perfect provision for us. Christians are not called by God to be malnourished infants. They are called to eat solid foods by learning the word of God and spending time with Jesus. You want to guard yourself from all sorts of different things in this world? Spend time with God. 
That's the way forward. Do you want to know God well? Then know his provision. Know Jesus. Go in the morning. Gather your manna in in God's word and spend time with him. In the evening, go out and collect the solid food. Go collect the quail. Stop looking at your devotional times, your prayer times, your church attendance, and any other religious activity you do as what you are doing for God. Instead, start looking at your religious activities that ways that you can be with God. When you are with God consistently and regularly, watch how his presence and his provision actually changes and transforms you. That's how we're changed. Did you know that? We're changed by being with God. Allow the disposition of your heart to move from religious obligation to religious freedom so that you might genuinely, just like in verse 34, they said, sir, give us this bread always. Don't you want to be there as a disciple of Jesus? Don't you want a tender heart that genuinely seeks first the kingdom of God? God has so much more for you if you're not there, if you don't want that. God wants to know you so personally and intimately. May your heart grow in your love for him. But to summarize this point, believe that Jesus is the true bread from heaven and find eternal nourishment for this life here and actually in the age to come in Christ. But there's this powerful scene as this, as this John 6 passage ends and, and we're gonna spend the last few minutes there. The Jews, coincidentally, always happens, they're getting upset with Jesus. What did Jesus do now? Well, um, Jesus is actually telling people to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Classic Jesus, doing weird things. Um, But John 54, John 6, 54 says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. But then there's this really powerful moment. And actually the the text of scripture says that disciples turned away. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? The Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. The crowds and the unbelieving followers of Jesus turned their back on him. But in verse 68, Simon Peter responds declaratively. And I hope that every true believer of Christ, every person who calls Jesus their personal Lord and Savior, would say and confess these words, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen? I hope that that would be the disposition disposition of your heart and that you would declare that to be true. But I want to, in closing, I I want for me personally and for all of us in this room, I want the faith to see God working in everything. Don't you? I want to see God not just on the the mountaintops in in the valleys, but I want to see God when I wake up and I'm just driving to work. I want to see God in normal, everyday circumstances. He's there. He's always present. He's always near. We set such a low bar. God's there on the mountaintop at that one big event, at that one big service on Sunday. No, God's everywhere. God will walk with you every single hour of every single day. Don't you want to see and know his presence? Maybe the challenge for you today is to move away from self-reliance so that you can have more reliance on God so that you can see what he is actually weaving and the provision that he's weaving into your life. 
Don't you want that? I want to be more reliant on God. And, and again, in Exodus 16, 12, uh, we were reminded that we can come to truly know God when we know him through his provision. Simon Peter declared that we have believed and we have come to know. I want to see God as personal provider and not just distant deity. I hope you do too. If you want to know God, then you need to know him in his pervert, perfect provision. Bread from heaven, provision from God. What is it? It's Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you uh, ultimately for what you are doing even through your word. And we, we thank you. We have the opportunity to uh, reflect and even think through the implications of what this message might mean for our day-to-day lives. God, the bar of faith that we've culturally set can often be so low. We confess where we've been distant. Because <laughs> God, the, the reality is, is you've never been a distant deity. You've always been personal. You've always been providing. God, it's us who've had eyes not to see your provision. God, would you renew our hearts and renew our minds and actually call us to see your still small voice, to see your provision, your perfect provision through Christ, but also in all the other areas of, 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 of regularity and, and mundaneness <laughs> in this world. God, we want to be believers in you. Anything in this world that leads us away from you, any self-reliance, any arrogance, any narcissistic tendencies in our, in our character or in our temperament, God, I pray that you would just rid them from us. God, allow us to humble ourselves before you because God, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. God, we want that. We want to believe in you by faith and we want to see you We want to enjoy the blessing of what it means to be faithful, to seek your kingdom first and actually have the opportunity to be a blessing to the world and be be your hands and feet and agents of, of blessing in areas of brokenness and lostness. God, we desire that truthfully. We pray this in your son's holy name. Amen.